So I want to start today's message with something a little unusual. I want to start by telling you about a couple of times in the last week when I just failed. (laughs) Just failed. (laughs) Two times. The first failure was a logistical failure. I was here last Sunday morning. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't worship leading. I got to sit with all of you and hear Reverend Ken's message, the second message in our series on the book Daring Greatly. It's the theme of all of our fall programming this season. This book by Brene Brown that talks about how vulnerability can change and transform the way that we live our lives. It was a great message, but I was a little bit distracted the whole time because I knew what was ahead of me this past week. For my other job in college admissions, I was going to be traveling from Sunday afternoon until yesterday at about 2 o'clock all over Virginia and D.C., visiting high schools, going to college fairs, and then I was going to come back here and preach, give a message today for all of you. So I was a little frazzled. And there were a couple important things I had to do. I had to get to my train on time, I had to pack after the service, and I had to make sure that I had this book with me during the week so that I could get ready to preach. So I went home from church, I packed my bag, I put all my suits in my bag, I got all my materials for my college visits, I got to the train on time, I got to D.C., I picked up my rental car, I drove to the hotel, I started to unpack, and what was the one thing I forgot to bring? This book. (sighs) Failure number one. Now, I unpacked. I saw that I was missing my book. I thought for a minute that maybe the hotel was going to save me from this one. So I pulled out that drawer next to the bed. But all I found (laughs) were these two. Holy Bible and the Book of Mormon. Apparently, the Marriott Hotel chain does not think that Brene Brown is an equivalent source of religious truth. So the next day on Monday, after I finished my work, I went to the bookstore. And I pulled a copy of Daring Greatly off the shelf. And I found another book right nearby that I'd been meaning to read. It's a book called Radical Acceptance, Embracing Your Life with the Heart of a Buddha by Tara Brock. It's a great book. I see some heads nodding. Some of you have read it. So I grabbed that one, too. And I started to walk to the checkout counter. And I was still in that mindset, a little tired, a little stressed, a little bit pre-anxious about the week ahead. And I realized that I was carrying in my hands a potential minefield of conversation with the checkout guy. Right? I had these two books that were both kind of in the self-help vein. One of them was talking about, you know, embracing your life with the heart of the Buddha. I'm in the South right now. I don't know what this guy's going to think about these books. I feel like he's going to say something to me. And so I put up, I put up that filter. I put up that mask in front of me that just said, I'm going to get in and get out, get my Starbucks and get back to my hotel. So I hand the books to him. He takes the Tower Brock book, scans it, drops it in the bag. Yes, I'm halfway there. And then he picks up Daring Greatly and he kind of holds it out. Huh, Daring Greatly. So uh, what are you, uh, executive coach? Here we go. 
Now, I knew why I was buying the book. I could have explained it. It wouldn't have taken very long to tell him a little bit about our church, our community here. But I just said, no. No, I'm not an executive coach. But he kept talking. He said, I worked with an executive coach once, and she had me read this book. That's why I know it. I said, oh, okay. It's pretty good, I thought. You know, a lot of it is just common sense. Stuff I hadn't really thought about in that way before, but I understood where she was going with it. You know, you don't usually think about things the way she puts it. I smiled. I nodded. I said, great. <laughs> and he rung me up. I said my thank yous, my have a nice days, and I was out of there. This failure, the first failure was a logistical failure. This was more of a failure to connect. Now, I know why I put my filters up that day. I was tired. I was already spinning a little bit, caught up in my own world about all the things that I felt were keeping me busy, all the things that I thought I had to do in the week ahead. But even as I was having that interaction, there was this little voice in my head going, come on, Lee, this is good stuff. Who knows what you're missing right now? Who knows what could happen if you tell him a little bit about your congregation? Maybe he's never heard of Unitarian Universalism before. He's a clerk at a bookstore who's worked with an executive coach. There's probably an interesting story behind that one. You're not picking up on any of this. You're not living in this moment right here with this person right now. That's what happens when we put up those filters and those walls that say it's all about me right now. And of course, the great irony, after I went through all that trouble, all that stress of getting the book, I took it home, or not home, I took it back to my hotel room, and it sat in the bag. I didn't crack it open once all week. Because I already knew what I wanted to talk about today. When I had read the copy of my book at home that was sitting on my headboard, there was a quote that stuck out to me like a sore thumb that called on something deep inside of me as soon as I read it. Early on in the book, Brene Brown is talking about presenting at a conference. And she talks about how the people who are going before her are so inspiring she admires so much how they bring their selves, their whole stories, warts and all. They're talking about their successes and their failures in all of this work that they've been doing. And she's so drawn to them. And even as she stands there watching herself, inspired, admiring these other presenters, she is terrified of doing the same thing. She's terrified of getting up on that stage and showing her whole self. She says... Vulnerability is courage in you and inadequacy in me. Vulnerability is courage in you and inadequacy in me. Now this rang true for me because I've felt that way too. I've seen the power that comes when I watch people tell their whole stories. But I've also felt the sting of that fear that fear that maybe my story won't be welcome. That fear that maybe I won't be admired, but will be ridiculed or punished for speaking about the things that are closest to my heart. 
I don't think I'm the only person here who knows how exhausting it can be to live with that feeling of inadequacy, to live under the weight of self-judgment around an inadequacy, the policing, the guilt, the unkindness to ourselves, that self-judgment for not being the right way. And sometimes, depending on what kind of perceived inadequacy that we're dealing with, this self-judgment can be reinforced by very real external judgment. Sometimes we are ridiculed or punished. And so it's a risk when we share our stories and we don't know how they'll be received. It's a very brave thing to do. And so I'm going to do something else unusual this morning. I'm going to talk about one of my own inadequacies. I want to tell you a couple truths about myself, about myself and about my body and about fat. Anybody already uncomfortable? (laughs) Yes. Thank you for being honest. Thank you. Thank you. First truth. I have a body, as you might have noticed, as we all do, right? Bodies are normal. We all have them. Second truth, my body has never, ever been skinny. I didn't have one of those awkward, knobby-kneed phases when I was a kid where I was all limbs running around the playground. I never shot up like a sprout out of the ground during a growth spurt and had one of those tall, lanky phases. I've always been a little bit soft and a little bit round. And when I was a little kid, there was kind of an innocent noticing of this fact, right? Sitting on a playground bench or a school bus seat next to my friends. Oh, look, we're different shapes. My thighs are twice the size of yours. We're just different. But that innocent noticing does not last long in most people's lives. I remember in middle school going to this store for the first time. Does anybody know about this store? Five, seven, nine, terrible idea for a store. This is a store for teen girls, preteen girls, junior sizes, only carries five, seven, and nine. Actually, I checked their website. They now carry sizes double zero to nine. I was always more of an 11 or a 13. And when I went shopping at the mall with my friends, I couldn't buy anything when we went to this store. By the time I was probably in fifth grade, around middle school, things began to change about the way that I was experiencing my own body. It wasn't this cool body that could do great things like gymnastics or climbing trees anymore. Instead, it was primarily a source of shame. It was around this time that I began to truly understand my body as ugly, as unlovable. It was not the way that it was supposed to be. I was not the way that I was supposed to be. I think from the time I was about 10 or 11 until maybe three or four years ago, I truly believed that anyone, and especially any man, who loved me in spite of this round body 
was doing me a favor, was loving me as charity. Now I want to stop for a minute. And I want to encourage us all to check in with ourselves. All of us to check in with any emotions, reactions that are coming up, that we're feeling as you listen to this story. I want to ask you, how many of you have the urge to tell me right now that I'm beautiful? Thank you. Right back at you. And I ask you that question not for me, but to encourage you to notice what's behind that for you. What's underneath that urge? What's motivating it? And I want to ask you to consider a different question. I don't want to, raise, I don't want to have you raise your hands for this one. But think about how many of you had a simultaneous urge to tell me I'm not fat. Just think about it. This is a woman named Kat Pauze. She is a PhD, a researcher, a lecturer in New Zealand who writes and teaches about fat, about body issues, about identity. She hosts a podcast, that's what she's filming right there, or recording right there. She hosts a podcast about the same issues. And she writes often for blogs, for websites, about what it's like to maintain healthy self-esteem as a fat person. She put a post up earlier this month called Four Ways to Come Out as Fat. (laughs) It's a good post. I recommend it. And she talks about how when she refers to herself as fat, especially when she's around people who care about her, who love her, she says when she refers to herself as fat, everybody around her kind of panics for a minute, especially those people who love her. They rush to reassure her. They say, you're not fat. Don't say that. Don't say that about yourself. Don't call yourself that. And she talks about how she appreciates the truly good and beautiful intention behind that reassurance. How what they're really saying is, you're beautiful. I don't associate you with the negative meanings and connotations of that word. I don't associate you with the stereotypes, the worthlessness, the invisibility the unlovable nature that can come and be associated with that word. She recognizes this beautiful intention, but for her, she insists on describing herself accurately. And she says, when we mix up this idea that beautiful and fat cannot possibly coexist, we help create that world where little girls with round bodies cannot possibly see themselves as anything but ugly. Now, I had a lot of fancy book learning about feminism in college. My degree says psychology and women's studies. So I am very well qualified to critique and take apart this culture. And I've done it over and over again. This culture that tells me in many ways that my body and myself is not good enough to be loved and cared for as it stands. And I understand rationally that my own perception of my inadequacy was the product of a lot of forces outside of me that had nothing to do with me or my worth. I got that up here. 
But the real heart transformation for me didn't come until many years later. I had a friend in divinity school. I still have a friend from divinity school whose name also happens to be Kat. Awesome women talking about these issues apparently are named Kat. And before I really knew Kat, when I just kind of saw her around campus, before I'd really engaged her in conversation, I said something about her to another friend of mine that I'm really not proud of, but I remember it distinctly. Kat has this kind of rockabilly style. She wears a lot of bright lipstick, bright colors, lots of decorations in her hair. And I said to a friend of mine, you know, Kat dresses the way that I would dress if I didn't care what anyone thought about me. Hmm. Revealing statement about myself, right? Kind of a backhanded compliment. And I remember really meaning it at the time. I actually remember choosing my words very carefully. There was something important I really wanted to say about this person that I didn't know very well yet. And I also remember looking back on it and thinking, wow, I really showed my behind with that comment. (laughs) How revealing that was, showing what I was craving. That level of authenticity, bravery, vulnerability to be exactly who she was and insist upon showing up exactly as she was, and loving herself. Kat and I ended up being very close friends. And it turns out there was something else I didn't know about Kat when I first met her or saw her. She was a dancer. She had studied dance and danced professionally for most of her life before coming to divinity school. But she left that world because it had been damaging, incredibly damaging to her body and her health and her own sense of self-worth. You see, Kat also had a round body, and she's proud of it now. She's tall. She's very strong. She takes up space. Those are now things that she feels good about. And for Kat, a big part of that transformation for her was in learning to dance again, in the body that she has right now, just as it is. The first time I ever saw Kat dance was at a chapel service at our divinity school. I sobbed. Now, she's a good dancer, but I wasn't crying because she was such a beautiful dancer. I was crying because the armor in me, the defensiveness in me, all those filters, they were being broken into pieces, smashed with a wrecking ball. It was a spectacular destruction. And there were big, gaping holes filled with light. I saw as I watched her dance all of the things that I had held myself back from my whole life because I didn't think that my body was good enough to do them. And I grieved for all those things those things that I had missed out on. Watching Kat dance helped heal me. Vulnerability is courage in you and inadequacy in me. They're two sides of the same thing, the same coin. Love of inadequacy can transform it. 
ease and grace with inadequacy can transform it. Presence with inadequacy. Light with inadequacy. And suddenly inadequacy becomes not quite the right word anymore. It's more like wholeness. All of me. All loved. One of our core values here at Wellsprings has to do with sharing our faith. It says our deeds are generated by our beliefs. Personal transformation bears fruit in the natural sharing of who we are with the communities in which we live. Now, when we hear sharing our faith, I know the first time I heard it, I usually think of that about, you know, how I'm going to talk to somebody like that guy at the bookstore, how I'm going to have the perfect elevator speech about Wellsprings or about Unitarian Universalism. But that's not what faith is. Faith isn't an organization or a denomination. Faith is, as Reverend Ken always reminds us, sradha in the Sanskrit, what we set our hearts upon. Sharing our faith means being who we are. Sharing our faith means sharing that which is held most closely in our hearts. And when we can do that, we are showing the world that we trust all of who we are, that we are loved in whole. And that is compelling. That's much more compelling than any bumper sticker or marketing campaign or elevator speech could ever be. It's more compelling than anything we create with our layers of filters that promise that false perfection. That's courage. This is a piece of artwork that hangs in my apartment. It's a quote from 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that this is from the Apostle Paul. And it's from the part of 2 Corinthians where he's talking about the thorn in his side, his famous inadequacy, much speculated about, never revealed for what it is in the Bible. And Paul talks about how he prayed and pleaded for this inadequacy to be removed from him, but it never, ever was. And then he says this. He says what was granted to him in response to his prayers was grace, love, which was sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This quote reminds me of the kind of connections that we make here, too, at Wellsprings. It reminds me of one of the listening to our lives, Wellsprings 2.0 springboards that I led, where on the last day, two members of that group turned to each other with tears in their eyes. And one said to the other, on the first day of our group, I told you my story, and you didn't bat an eye. I told you my story, and you didn't bat an eye. Sharing our faith is loosening that filter. It's showing up for each other to see and be seen for who we really are. And what incredible potential for transformation we might all have when we redirect all of that inward energy 
all of that exhausting time, those obsessive thoughts, the emotions of self-judgment? How might we instead find ease? How might we redirect that energy out into the world to encourage the healing and the wholeness of each other? Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, holy presence, who knows each and every part of who we are, help us to remember that we are not alone, that even when we may feel that there is something we carry close to our hearts that might be unlovable, that is too far beyond the pale. Help us to remember that our faith teaches us differently and that we can help to heal each other and the world when we show up fully in our bodies, fully comfortable, fully connected to the air and the ground that we walk on. Amen.